The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Is it true that how we say something is at least as important as what we say? So we're going to do a little experiment. Now, for those of you online with us, it's going to be a little challenging, but at all of our campuses right now, I know you can do this. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to find somebody next to you. I want you to lean over and say, I am so happy to see you here right now. Now, some of y'all, some of you couples, you just had a romantic moment. I mean, it's touching. I mean, you, you might actually go out on a, on a date after this moment. You might be able to have a little Sabbath after the service. Um, that, that'd be awesome. For others of you, maybe, um, maybe you're about to get in trouble. Some of you husbands, you didn't say it the right way. And your wife is reminding you right now, see, told you so. And uh, some parent is kind of squeezing their, their kid right now. They're like, hey. Or maybe, maybe you're one of those kids and you're like, I'm so happy to see you here right now. <laughs> and maybe, maybe you're sitting next to somebody, maybe you're brand new coming into life. As you're like, this is the moment that I most don't want to be part of. I don't want anybody to talk to me. I don't want somebody to say, it's so nice to see you here. And, and here's the deal. We know that it's true that the way you say something is at least as important as uh, what you're actually saying, the words that are coming out of your mouth. And so, you know, you could say, I love you. You could say, it's good to see you. You can say, hey, how are you doing? And the way you say it is probably more important than the words coming out of your mouth. And th- this creates some challenges in my home. In our home, this is kind of a, a big issue. How you say it is more important than what you say. So like, enough with the attitude, Am I the only one that deals with this in my home? Like, and all the rest of your kids are perfect. Like, cut out the sass. I don't need the attitude. Don't you talk like that to your mother. I don't know why this is that season when I get home, I'm the one that has to clean up the, the issues of what was said when I wasn't there. And I'm like, I wasn't even here. Why do I have to be the one that fixes it? All right, so enough of the attitude, stop it. And then my little dudes, I don't even know if they even hear anything. Sometimes I think we're talking and they literally have what's on their mind. And so how you say it is more important than what you say. So for example, right, there's a right way to interrupt. You don't just get to come up and be like, daddy, 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 daddy. I'm like, dude, I'm on the phone or I'm talking to your mother. You wait, right? So like I've taught my boys, like if you're going to interrupt me, you got to come up. You can grab my arm. You can pull on my sleeve a little bit, but you don't like pull me down. Right? You don't get to walk up and punch me as a way to interrupt because they've tried that one. There's one of them, he just, he's just, daddy, daddy, daddy. He, he's not gonna stop until I literally acknowledge him. And so I'm like, dude, here's how you interrupt. You come up, you can grab my arm or you can pull on my sleeve a little bit. Then you gotta wait until I acknowledge you. Right? There's a right way to ask for something. Like you don't just get to walk and be like, Daddy, I want this, or I, you know, or they don't even, they don't put your name with it, right? Be like, give me this, or I want that, or whatever. And you're like, no, dude. Like, that's not how this works. You get to ask for that. You get to ask for permission. Some of your parents, this is going to revolutionize your life. You're like, man, that's it. Some of you are wishing that you brought your kids with you. Some of the kids are sitting there, see, like, oh my goodness. Now I'm hearing it from my pastor. Um, there's a right way to ask. And, and there's a right way to apologize, isn't there? So I'm going to get a little hint into my world, my home. So my, 
my two-year-old, Matthew, he's gotten this kick where he just likes beating on his brother. And he, for whatever reason, he thinks it's funny to smack his brother in the head, to punch him, to run into him and hurt him. And so I'm constantly like, Matthew, go over to Daniel and give him a hug and say you're sorry. And no joke, this is his approach. He runs full, he thinks it's the greatest thing in the world. He runs full steam at him, runs into him, and then hugs him. Right, like basically he full on line, like he just tackles him, knocks him to the ground, and then he's hugging him. He's like, I'm sorry. And like, you know, I'm trying to keep from like cracking up and I have to look away. The truth is like, that's not the right way to say you're sorry. So to humble yourself and be like, I'm so sorry. You know, like that's what you're supposed to do. There's a right way, there's a wrong way. How you say it is more important than what you say. And this is true in the workplace. Some of you, you're an employer and you get really frustrated because you got people who are doing the right job, but they do it the wrong way. They say the right things, they just say it the wrong way. Some of you in the classroom, you got students, they say it the right thing, but they're saying it the wrong way and it causes problems in the classroom. Uh, some of you in your romantic relationship, this is a crisis for you. You need to go get therapy because you're saying the right thing, but it's coming out the wrong way. And some of you in your homes, this is causing trouble. So if all of that is true in our relationships with each other, is it possible that it's also true with God? That how we say it, might be more important than even what we're saying. And so I want to just get another quick experiment. Close your eyes. You don't, you don't have to close your eyes, but I think it'd be easy if you close your eyes. Close your, what picture do you immediately have of God? If you were to picture God, how do you picture him? Some of you, you picture God as like a judge. He's just waiting to catch you do something wrong. All right, you can open your eyes. For some of you, you don't see anything. Now, I don't, I don't want you to feel bad if you didn't see anything, but for some of you, God is far away. God is distant. For some of you, there's no God at all. You, you, you're coming out because you're kind of hoping that you can actually maybe find a God. But for you, God is just far off and distant. I've discovered that probably how you picture God is gonna affect how you approach God, which then is more important than what you actually say when you pray. Jesus, he has this group of friends who are more like students and they were called disciples. And it's interesting, these disciples, only one time in their experience with Jesus did they ever say, teach us how to do what you just did. They watched Jesus raise people from the dead and they didn't ask like, wow, Jesus, that was really cool. Teach us how to raise people back to life. They watched Jesus take a small lunch and feed thousands of people and they weren't like, Jesus, give us the inside scoop on how to do that. Uh, they, they watched Jesus speak to a storm that was raging on a sea and he calmed it and they, they didn't even ask like, hey, give us those powers. They, they didn't ask for anything. One time, check this out, Luke chapter 11. This is a gospel according to Luke uh, where he's re recording this moment where Jesus is, is um, pr in prayer. Well, it says this, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us how to pray, as just as John taught his disciples. This, this is actually a common thing that rabbis would do. Um, for thousands of years, Jewish boys were taught how to pray. In fact, they were, giving us, they were given a script of memorized prayers. And about 200 years before this moment, uh, the, in Jewish tradition, they added another prayer. And this was like a really specific prayer. It had 18 verses, and it was basically like an outline of all the things you're supposed to pray for when you go to God in prayer. It was very specific. It was 18 points. 
And in those 18 points, each of them had basically a verse. And so a good Jewish boy would memorize all 18 of those. And so when you went to prayer several times a day, you would literally pray those 18 verses. It was like me telling you, say to the person next to you or near you, Really good to see you this morning. And so they, but it wasn't just that. Like imagine I gave you like 18 verses of things you were supposed to say. And so Jesus would have been taught those 18 verses. These disciples with Jesus were taught those 18 verses. But if you're anything like me, when you go to eat, ugh. Last thing I want is to call on the person who feels like this is their moment to just pray and show us how awesome and spiritual they are. So I try to like, I'll take the prayer. I'll be like, God, thank you so much for this food. So good. Amen. Right? Like, if we're sitting out for Thanksgiving dinner, like, please don't call on the person who feels the need to pray for every single thing in their life. One of my kids, and I, I feel like the worst dad. I just did this the other day. We were sitting out for dinner, and one of my daughters is praying, and then she got distracted because one of the boys was acting up, so she's literally talking to him. And I'm like, honey, finish praying. Like, enough. I gotta eat. Like, I'm the worst, right? So the point is, this is what, the, this is what students would do. They'd be like, rabbi, give us the short version. Because there are times when we don't want to go through all 18 verses. And so many rabbis have like an abbreviated version of the prayer. And so it, what, it, what it sounds like is Jesus' disciples are like, hey, Jesus, give us the short version. Because we don't always have the time to go through all 18 verses. But that's not what happens in this moment. They turn to Jesus after watching him pray. This isn't an academic endeavor. This is them watching Jesus and they go, Jesus prays different. He, he doesn't pray a script. This isn't some formula. This isn't some memorized moment. This is Jesus talking with a real loving, living God. He, he prays like he knows God. He prays like God is listening. And so they say Jesus teaches how to pray. So before Jesus gives them the prayer, he gives them the why behind the what. So let's jump in. It's recorded, by a, the, it's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew by a guy that was there. Matthew actually watched this moment. Jesus says, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Now back then, this wasn't a pejorative word. The word hypocrite just meant actor. Don't be like the actors. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Meaning they got what they wanted out of prayer. Some of you, you've gone to prayer and what you needed was healing. You needed a miracle. What they wanted was to impress the people around them and they got it. They got the reward. They got the results. They got the answer to their prayer. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't just keep on babbling. He said, don't just keep on going like the pagans do. You guys can go to the next slide here. Um, he goes, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. So he goes, man, there's people that they just believe in lots of gods. They believe in the formula of religion. And they just think that if they use a ton of words, they'll wear, gods, they'll wear the gods out and they'll give them what they want. He goes, don't, don't do that. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. And then Jesus goes into what we commonly refer to as the Lord's Prayer. But here's the deal. I don't know if you're like me, but every once in a while you feel a little pressure. Like you know you're supposed to pray and so you're, you're a little worried about like, am I saying it the right way? Did I say it long enough? 
Um, am I, did I look the right way when I was praying? Meaning, maybe you get around other people. I know I'm, I'm your pastor and I should never think like this, but even I feel like that sometimes. Like, did that, did that come out right? Did, did, I, did I use the right words? Um, and I think part of the problem is that we're, we're trying to impress the people around us. And, and so if your prayer life could use a little boost, if, if you could use a little encouragement in prayer, uh, hopefully there's some principles in this that are gonna jump out to you that hopefully will speak to your heart. The first is this. The key principle I really want you to take away from today is that simply motives matter. Would you, would you write that down? Maybe, maybe type that in real quick. Um, maybe pull out your smartphone and write this down, take some notes. Motives matter. In prayer, your motive matters. The why is more important than the what. How you say it is, might be more important than even what you're saying. So you could say the Lord's Prayer, you could recite the prayer, but how you're saying it might matter more than even what you're saying. Now here's the deal, right? Let, let's talk about relationships. There's a reason why sometimes we have to correct the attitude or the sass. Because say, hey, I, I get it. There, maybe there's a rift in a relationship or maybe you're having a bad moment or maybe you've been hurt at school and so you're coming out with a little attitude and you're taking it out on me. And sometimes there's a brokenness in relationship and maybe as a couple, you feel that. I mean, it's, sometimes it's really hard to communicate because you're angry at each other or you're harboring an offense or maybe there's some broken expectations. And so trying to co communicate is really difficult. Well, it's the same in our relationship with God. Often the reason why we feel like God is far away and distant is because God feels far away and distant. And so what we do in those moments, we just throw prayers up. We're like, I don't even know if he's there, but I'll just kind of chuck a prayer up to heaven and hope God's there. Sometimes we feel like God is angry at us and God's betrayed us because we're holding on to hurt. And it wasn't that God has turned away from us or betrayed us, but that we've turned away from God and betrayed him. And here's the deal. There's, there's a specific way that we create a rift in our relationship with God. And Jesus referred to that as sin. Sin is an instinct you and I have. It's this spiritual sabotaging force that pushes us away from God. And every one of us have it. We all want to push away from God and do what we want. Sin. And because of sin, we turn our back on God. We're far from God. God's not far from us. We've betrayed God. God hasn't betrayed us. We're going further and further from God. God's not going further and further from us. And because of sin, we live a life distant from God, headed to a forever without God. What I mean by that is a forever in eternal judgment. But listen to me carefully. God loves you. God loves you so much that even though you and I were headed in the completely opposite direction of him, he pursued us. In fact, he jumped ahead onto the pathway of where we were headed into eternal ruin. He stepped into our eternal judgment to rescue us. Jesus came to earth with the mission to die in our place. That's right, to take the eternal death sentence we deserve on himself so that when he died, he took our shame, he took our guilt, he took our eternal suffering and he put it on himself so that when he died, he died once for all so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven. Later in this prayer, we're actually to get to that point where Jesus says, forgive us our sins, forgive us our debts, right? And so there's, Jesus died to give us forgiveness, but Jesus didn't just stay dead. Jesus rose from the dead and in the power of his resurrection, he gives us life. That means that you are not gripped 
by guilt and shame because he forgives you. That means you're not gripped by the fear of death because you know that even in death, you have the promise of eternal life. When you believe in Jesus by faith, God's spirit, listen to me, which is eternal and invisible, the God who is unseen enters into you. It not into your brain, into your physical body, the spiritual part of you, the part of you that they can't diagnose, the part of you that will live forever, God's spirit enters into your spirit. And as a result, you come, you become truly alive. Check this out. When God's spirit enters into your spirit, there is a restoration of relationship. What was broken is healed. So prayer is not a ritual meaning it's not a formula and it's not about religion. It's about relationship. If it's about relationship, then it's a conversation, not a code. It's not a code that you enter in and you get the answers you want. It's a conversation. It's, a, it's an exchange. It's a relational dialogue. So now let's unpack this and learn some lessons about how motives matter. Check this out. Let's go back into this passage, right? So Jesus is teaching. He says, but when you pray... Go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, man, don't just keep babbling like the pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. What, what's the point? Um, G, what, the principle of what Jesus is saying here is this. You can get really caught up in the words. You can get really caught up in how you look or even the posture of how you're positioned in prayer. And if you do, you've missed the point. The best posture of prayer is a pure heart. All right, so take a moment, type that in, write that down. The best posture of prayer is a pure heart. Believe it or not, I'm kind of letting you off the hook here. I'm going to make prayer a little more accessible to you. So in this time, the religious leaders had all of these rules about how you prayed. Believe it or not, they had a very strict rule. One of the rules was that you had to have your head covered. The Jewish tradition, they continue to believe that to this day. So Laura and I had the privilege of going to Israel. And if you go to the city of Jerusalem to the Wailing Wall, in order to approach it, so people like us, we can go to the Wailing Wall. But Laura had to put a cloth over her head. I had to put a little yarmulke on my head, the little, the little head covering that the men wear in the Jewish uh, religion. So I had to put it on my head in order to approach the wall. When you get there, there's a lot of men that are standing there and they're rocking like this because that's how you show your devotion. Others might kneel down. Boy, if you're really holy, you lay down because that's the ultimate expression of humility, right? Here's how you and I grew up. Close your eyes and bow your head. So you all want to do that? Everybody close? No, right? So I fall into this trap, right? So my, our family, we're praying. We, we still pray together over our meals. So we bow our heads. We take hands. And then you know how hard it is to get a two-year-old to keep his eyes closed for more than three seconds? So closing our eyes. And that dude, he's trying to sneak his hand to put more food in his mouth. He's trying to beat on one of us. He's smearing his hands full of food on one of us. And so then I got to open up my eye to check on him to see if he's got his eyes closed. I'm like, Matthew, close your eyes. And then of course I interrupt the prayer, right? Like, and now I know my why, okay? My why is I want you to be focused and not distracted. But the truth is, check this out. This is going to blow your mind. You don't have to close your eyes to pray. There's nothing in the Bible about closing your eyes. I've read the whole thing many, many times. There's nothing about you have to close your eyes in order for God to hear you. God is unseen. He sees what you do in secret. He knows the heart. 
Believe it or not, what God wants is you not to bow your head, but to bow your heart. He doesn't want you to, he doesn't care whether you have your eyes closed. He cares if your heart is open. All right, so follow me here. The religious leaders, they had all these rules. And Jesus is saying, hold up, before you even pray, let me talk to you about how you pray. The posture is not physical. The posture is your heart. And to have a pure heart means this. Who do you care is watching? Most of these people were praying to be seen by others. So Jesus says, don't worry about what is seen. Do it in secret. I don't want you to pray to impress people around you. I want you to pray so God can impress himself on you. Don't worry about who, who you're pleasing. Don't try to pray to please the people that hear you praying. Pray to please God. In essence, the key question here about a pure heart is, who's your audience when you pray? So if you're going to pray over a meal, do you pray because of the people around you? Do you pray because there's people watching? Do you worry about the words you say because you're worried, am I getting it right because of others listening? Or when I pray, am I praying to an audience of one? So I'm going to give you a little, a little um, challenge. Would you discover the habit of secrecy? It's specific to prayer. What I mean is learn the discipline of the secret place. You can do it right now because nobody knows whether you're really praying or not unless you're praying to be heard by others. The habit of the secret place is this. I can be in a room full of people. I can be in a crowd. I can be by myself. But my heart is focused on the unseen Father. And when I pray, I am praying to an audience of one. My heart is focused on God. I care what God thinks more than I care what anybody else thinks. And don't worry about what anybody else thinks. And when you stop worrying about what everybody else thinks, you're freed from being an actor in prayer, and your heart becomes pure. The other thing about a pure heart is, is my heart right with God? Now, anybody who's in a relationship, you get what it means to have a right heart toward another person. Look, if you're harboring resentment, if you guys got into an argument on your way to church, maybe that's the reason why you're not church, you're joining us online, because you had a little rift, and you're like, and you're, you're sitting next to that person, when I told you to lean over and say, it's good to see you this morning, you were the one that was a little sarcastic, right? You gotta work through those issues. Same with God. If there's a rift between you and God, it's time to say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Now you can go to God in prayer with a pure heart. Now let's keep going because there's a couple little really important points that I don't want to miss as we kick off this series. This then is how you should pray. Now what's key here is Jesus is offering a model prayer. You're not listening in in this moment to Jesus praying. He already finished praying. Now he's teaching us to pray. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. In fact, would you do me a favor? Would you say this along with me? I'm going to read it, and then you're going to read it. Ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed, it, hallowed be your name. I can't even read. <laughs> Here, here's the key. Jesus is actually focusing on the heart the motive behind the prayer, all right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The point is this. It's the direction of prayer. The best direction of prayer is to our heavenly Father, right? Jesus is not so much worried about the habit of prayer, but the heart of prayer. He's not focused on the method, but the motive. 
Jesus says, the direction of your prayer is to our heavenly father. What I wanna do is take a moment and I just wanna take this verse apart for you. This might be a little unusual, but what I wanna do is just literally walk it through by the words that Jesus gave us. He starts with the word hour. I find this to be really powerful. Okay, Jesus didn't say, when you pray, pray my father in heaven, which is amazing because what he's saying is prayer first and foremost is yes, it's personal. Yes, it's private. Yes, it's a secret practice, but it's also meant to be shared. For couples, this would revolutionize your relationship and your intimacy if you learn how to pray together. This could transform your home if you learn how to pray together. As Jesus followers, one of the most powerful things we can do is pray together. It's still practicing the secret place, even though we're praying, because we're praying to our Father together. We're practicing the secret place together. But we start by saying, our Father, our. What that also means is this. It's not about personal preference. Imagine a, a Democrat and a Republican right now coming together in prayer. Well, at some point, you got to lay aside some preferences, don't you? You might have to lay aside some of your own personal opinions. Imagine uh, the wealthy and the poor coming together in prayer. They might have to lay aside some of their socioeconomic agendas. Our father, not my father, not your father, our father. What's also amazing is Jesus is opening the door wide. He's not saying that, that access to our father is some exclusive right for the few really religious people. He's going like this, hey, it's an open door. Anyone who wants can come in with a pure heart and say, our father. He also says, our father in heaven. Now, maybe you've heard this so many times that it doesn't have much meaning to you, but in this time, this was revolutionary. If you go back in thousands of years of scripted prayers, of when they wrote out their prayers, only about three times in history. Do you ever hear God referred to as father in prayer? And each time it was referring to God as the father of the nation. Jesus introduces God the father and he uses that title 60 times. He's saying, I am his son, we are his children, and we can talk to God as father. To the religious leaders listening, this made them angry because what they were hearing was Jesus saying, I am the son of God. And so they said, are you, are you implying when you pray that God is your father and you are his son? He goes, that's right. I am the son of God and I am giving you access to becoming children of God. So that when you pray, you can be a son or a daughter of God and you can approach God and say, God is my father in heaven. Radically mind-blowing, especially when you think about the fact that when we say our Father in heaven, what we're also saying is you have direct access. You don't have to pray through the saints. You don't have to pray through a priest. You don't need to pray and you don't have to pray to Jesus' mother Mary. You don't pray to the trees or the stars or the moon. You don't pray to nature. You might pray in nature. You have direct access to God in prayer. That also means that prayer is not some introspection. You're not looking within for the answers to prayer. This isn't about finding your personal power in prayer. Your, the direction of your prayer is to our heavenly father. It's uniquely Christian. 
because we believe that the only access we have to the Father in heaven is through Jesus Christ who gives us that access. So when we pray, we know that we're praying through Jesus directly to our heavenly Father. Now, for some of you, when you hear that, that's warm. That's amazing. You, you're excited about the fact that you have access to your heavenly Father. And so for you, I wanna challenge you with this. Don't focus on prayer, focus on the Father. Did you catch that? Hold up. Some of you, you get, you've gotten all caught up in the words. You've worried about how you're saying it and what you're saying. Don't worry about it. Just talk to God. I hope when my kids come to me, they don't have rehearsed speeches. In fact, the more rehearsed it is, the more I'm likely to not listen really well. Right? I, I just want you to come and talk to me. In fact, many times I know what they're trying to say anyway. So sift through the words, just come to me as daddy and let's talk, right? When you go to God, God knows your heart. That's what Jesus was saying. He goes, God already knows what you need. Just put your heart out there. So fo don't focus on prayer, focus on the Father. But for some of you, the idea of talking to God the Father is a little scary. Maybe for you, your relationship with Father is not so good. Maybe your father was abusive or he was negligent or he betrayed you or hurt you. Maybe another male figure in your life, an authority figure hurt you or betrayed you in some way that for you, the idea of talking to God the Father is painful. So I want you to follow me. I'm gonna give you a metaphor real quick. Imagine a child that at a young age was abused or betrayed or neglected or abandoned by a man, by his father. And a kind, caring adult, a man comes into that child's life and says, I love you. And I'm gonna adopt you. I choose you. I love you. And no matter what you ever do, I will never leave you. I will be here with you. I care for you. Now, maybe not right off the bat, but over time, that father begins to win the child's heart. Through deep conversations, through a lot of time together, the dad begins to earn that relationship. There becomes strength in trust and a deepening of love. Now imagine that child. That child comes home or the dad comes home and um, kid comes running to dad. Dad scoops him up in their arms. Maybe, maybe a little bit like me to my kids. I scoop them up, I hug them. Sweetheart, daddy loves you so much. Maybe I sit him down on my lap. Talk to me, how are you doing? And now here's the words, right? It don't matter what comes out of the kid's mouth, but it might sound something like this. Daddy, I love you too. Our Father in heaven. That's it. Hallowed be your name. I, I love you so much. I have so much respect for you. Dad, you're, you're the favorite person in my life. Now I realize it's not gonna last that way forever, but right now when they're young, I'm still gonna be their hero. I'm still the favorite person in their life, right? Here's the deal. Don't learn how to pray from religious people. Don't learn how to pray from the people who they pray in the King James Version. If you don't know what I'm talking about, that's the version of the Bible with all the these and the thous. That, don't worry about that. Learn how to pray by watching children who know their parents adore them. My kids, again, I don't claim to be a perfect parent at all, but I'll tell you this, my kids know I adore them. And they will ask me anything and they will ask for anything. I, I appreciate that my kids are still the kind of kids, even my adult ones now, like, or my adult one, she calls me on the phone, we talk, we FaceTime, and she'll tell me anything, even things I don't wanna hear. <laughs> I have teenage girls. There's sometimes I'm a little bit worried about what they tell me. I'm like, 
But he, here's the thing, right? Like God wants the kind of relationship where you'll tell him anything and you'll ask for anything. I don't know why our kids do this. You, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I got out the ice cream the other day, whole tub of it, right? Like there's as much as anybody who wants ice cream, there's enough for them. I get my ice cream out, I scooped it out and then I put it away. And then they say, daddy, can I have some? I don't know why, but they don't want it out of the carton. They want it out of my bowl. <laughs> my Laura believes that it doesn't have any calories if it comes out of my bowl. <laughs> I, have a th- I have a thought that they don't really care so much about the ice cream as much as me sharing. For you and I, turn to God. you can ask God for anything. You can ask, you can talk to God about anything. You have access to God, the Father. And he's inviting you into his arms. He's inviting you into a relationship. God knows your heart. He just wants to have conversation with you. Now, but, but here's the deal. He, he gives this phrase, hallowed be your name. Maybe you visited some of the battlefields locally. And it'll say, this is hallowed ground. Meaning the ground became sacred because of the blood that was shed. You know where this is going, right? The fact that we have access to God was bought through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and we have access to God the Father because of Jesus' death and his resurrection. It's, it's a sacred act. It's amazing. It cost Jesus everything to give you a direct line of access to the Father. So when you come to God, it's not with some big attitude, but if you have an attitude, still come to God. But we come to God as holy. The word hallowed in this context means holy. This is the essence of God's character. What it means is this. God is perfect without blemish. God is light with no darkness. This is not some Eastern religion yin and yang thing. A little bit of light and all the darkness. A little bit of darkness and all the light. God doesn't have a little bit of evil in his good. He is all good, no evil. He does what is right every time and there's not even a hint of wrong in it. So when you approach God, you're approaching God knowing that nothing evil has access to God. Well, what about me? How do I have access to God? Because of the hollowed ground. Because hollowed be your name. I get to access God through faith in Jesus Christ. And when God sees me, he sees only perfection. He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus' death and his resurrection. And so when I approach God, there is perfection. There is beauty. There is light. There is love. And so I come to God and it's a little bit like when when my kids talk to us, I'm like, I'm not your peer. I'm not your friend and I'm not your piggy bank. Watch your attitude. Don't you dare talk to your mother like that. She brought you into this world. All right, so you gotta watch how you speak to us. There's, there's some principles in approaching mommy and daddy. You, you approach us with the right attitude and the right heart. There's a right way to apologize and there's a right way to ask. But even if you're gonna get it wrong, go to the Father in heaven through faith in Jesus Christ. So let me challenge you. Some of you, you you saw God as very far away. Some of you, you don't even know if there's a God that's there. I promise you, if God isn't there in your life, it's not because he's absent. It's because you've probably been walking in the wrong direction for a a long time. It's time for you to turn around and just turn to God. What you're gonna discover is that God was never far away. The moment you turn to him, he's right there. Maybe for some of you, you thought God was angry at you. Today, you're gonna discover that God is very forgiving. 
He's very loving. For some of you, you just wonder, does God even hear when I pray? I promise you, God is listening. He wants you to turn to him. He wants you to pray. He's a loving father that wants to scoop you up in his arms and say to you, I love you. I choose you. I adopt you. You're part of my family. I'm listening. So I want you to do that right now. Would you turn to God right now? Maybe some of you for the very first time. For others of you, get past all the religious stuff. Don't do it as a ritual. Do it in relationship. Just talk to God for a moment. Would you do that right now? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.